The passage from which our message this morning would come is the passage which Missy read for us earlier, 1 Corinthians 14. I invite you to turn back there in your Bibles. It's also printed in the back of your bulletins. But let's come before the Lord again, having heard his word, and ask that he would give us grace in understanding and applying and living according to his word. Father, your word is truth. And we are sanctified by your truth. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come now and you would speak your word of truth to our hearts. Through this passage and through my words, explaining it, teaching it, Father, that we would indeed be built up and encouraged in the faith together as one body. And Lord, that we would seek to pursue love together, to desire and seek the gifting of your spirit for that very purpose, that you might be glorified, that we might be edified together, and that those outside of your church, as they come in, would be able to say, surely God is among them. That's our desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to jump right in. The issue here in chapter 14 is the issue again that we've been kind of looking at over the last couple of weeks of the, the spiritual gifts given to the church in the, and, and how they're used here, particularly in the corporate worship of the body of Christ. And in particular, Paul's addressing here the, the, speak, the gifts of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophesying. Now, some of you are immediately thinking, Pastor, you know we are Presbyterians. <laughs> About the closest thing we come to speaking in tongues is an occasional raised hands in worship or a very quiet amen, as we've already experienced. Why don't we just leave speaking in tongues to the, to the Pentecostals, to the Charismatics, to which Paul would reply to us as he does at the end of this chapter. So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, we've got no problem with the decently and in order part of verse 40. But what about verse 39? Do we truly, as God's people and as Paul directs us, desire the spiritual gifts of his work in our lives? Especially the gift of prophecy. And do we unnecessarily forbid or deny speaking in tongues? You can see how this issue continues to be a, a, a sticky one in the wider body of Christ today, even as it was in the Corinthian church. Well, Paul has a great deal to say about the issue in this chapter, and I'm not going to pretend or promise to answer all the questions raised or to settle all the debates over exactly what Paul refers to throughout this passage. There's a reason that, that Tim Keller called this passage a hot potato, and yet it's precisely because it is a hot potato and thus not always easy to handle for the church that we need to try to get a better understanding of what God is saying to us so that we can pursue love 
And the unity and diversity that is such a, 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 an essential theme of Paul's letter. So what I would like to do is simply to look closely at what this text does clearly teach and ask God to open our hearts and our minds and to apply this to our lives in such a way that we would experience his presence in our lives and his power at work through us in our worship together in a life-transforming way. And I want to look at it by looking at the problem that Paul addresses, the principle that he teaches, and the practice that he encourages. If you're following an outline or taking notes, that's how we're going to break this down. Let's look first at the problem addressed. The issue that Paul is addressing here in the church, as we know back in chapter 12, Paul began responding to a question given to him by the, the uh, believers in Corinth around the issue of spiritual gifts. And one of the things that was causing division in the church was that people in the church were viewing certain spiritual gifts as more prominent, more important than others. Particularly the more, the more visible, we might say, manifestations of the Spirit, such as, as the speaking gifts, and speaking in tongues, and prophesying, and, and also healing, and, and working of miracles. And so Paul reminds them, back in chapter 12, that all the gifts come from the same God, they come from the same spirit, and every member of the body <clears throat> is gifted in such a way that it is, that is both necessary and vitally important to the health and growth of the body. So he ends chapter 12 by saying, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then in chapter 13, he turns to to. to what is the essence or the necessary condition for exercising any gift that God gives to his church, and that is love. No matter how great the gift or how gifted the one person who has it may be, if it's not grounded and, and, and guided by love, then it is of no use or benefit to the person or to the church, which is where he picks up again in our chapter here this morning in verse 14. Verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love, and again, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And the goal of our life together is love for God and one another. And the desire of our life together should be to be spiritually gifted by God, to demonstrate and exercise that love for God and for one another in practical ways. And so Paul now turns his attention to one specific example of this in the church at Corinth where things were getting a little out of whack and, and that was over the, over the issue of, of the speaking gifts of tongues and prophecy and their use particularly in the worship gatherings of the church. Paul is not here trying to create some kind of rank and file of the gifts and say that you know prophecy is the greatest of all and, and tongues is way down here and the others fall in the middle. He's addressing this particular issue with these particular gifts and holding up their use within the body of Christ. And it seems that in the worship service, greater emphasis and energy was being placed on speaking in tongues, perhaps to the neglect of the gift of prophecy. And so Paul wants to clarify the role of both. And in essence, he says, there is a place and a purpose for speaking in tongues, but the greater gift that you should really seek and desire within the, the worship of the church and the corporate life of the body is prophesying. Now, 
What is Paul talking about here when he refers to speaking in tongues and to prophesying? A great deal of ink has been spilled by scholars much smarter than I on this matter. And there are a number of differing views, all which seek faithfulness to the scriptures. And I would just commend a a book and a a series of lectures by D.A. Carson on the spiritual gifts that I think is very healthy for more in-depth Uh, helpful, I should say, for more in-depth and comprehensive study. But the other place where we see this issue of speaking in tongues is in the book of Acts, where as the Holy Spirit came upon different groups of people, such as at Pentecost or at the conversion of Cornelius and his family as the the word was going out from uh, the Jews out to the Gentiles. And in some cases, as at Pentecost, we're told that these languages were actually understood by those around them. They were foreign languages that that the speaker himself didn't know and and hadn't spoken before, but the others who spoke those languages heard around them. In other cases, as seems to be here in Corinth, it seems this phenomenon is not a a known or intelligible uh, language, yet at times it is interpretable. And some believe that these gifts have ceased with the times of the apostles in the closing of the canon and scripture, while others believe they are still active and valid in the church today. So let me just say that I believe, and the standards of our church teach in the Westminster Confession, that the canon of Scripture is indeed closed. And that God's immediate, direct revelation for the benefits of His his church and the communication of His nature through His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, has ceased. So whatever gift of tongue-speaking or prophesying is given to the church today, its revelatory impact is not direct revelation from God in the manner of the Old Testament prophets or the New Testament apostles such that it can be said without a doubt, thus says the Lord. Which is why Paul here says that anything like that is subject to being weighed, to being tested. Yet it seems from what Paul says here under the inspiration of the Spirit that some manner of these gifts is both to be desired and both to be exercised by the members of the church body in general for the ongoing building up and benefit of the body of Christ. And that is his main point in this passage. Not are these gifts valid, but how are they to be valued and how are they to be used with care for the care and the upbuilding of others. Thus the, entitled, the title of this sermon, that we would be equipped as saints to worship with care. So that said, what's the is, what is the issue of tongues versus prophecy going on in the church in Corinth? Well, look at what Paul says in these first verses. The one who speaks in a tongue is speaking to God, not men, verse 2. The one who prophesies is speaking to people. Verse 3, the one who speaks in tongues is not understood by others. Verse 2, the one who prophesies is understood by those who hears what he says. The one who speaks in tongues builds himself up. The one who prophesies builds up the church. The one who speaks in tongues speaks mysteries in the spirit. Verse 2. The one who prophesies speaks words of upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation to God's people in verse 3. 
So I think based on this description, it seems to me that speaking in tongues was a manifestation of the work of God's spirit in a believer's life that led to joyful, ecstatic utterances in prayer or praise to God in a language that was was unknown and unintelligible by the speaker or those around him that is an, an edifying act of prayer and praise for the speaker personally, but not necessarily for those around him in the church. Prophesying, on the other hand, is to speak a word of encouragement, exhortation, comfort, or conviction from God to others according, uh, uh, in a way that they can clearly hear and understand and results in them being built up or encouraged in the faith according to God's truth. Preaching is a means of prophesying, but it is not limited to preaching. Otherwise, Paul would be saying everyone should preach. So the problem being addressed here is the fact that many in the church were evidently praying or praising God by speaking in unintelligible spirit, uh, spirit spiritual tongues in the worship service and this was not just a distraction but it was creating confusion and there was a measure of of chaos that was a hindrance to the overall edification of God's people and indeed it was dividing the church so rather Paul says you should desire and promote the gift of prophecy in the church so that the church as a whole might be edified might be built up which leads to the principle that's taught in this passage. That's the problem he was addressing. What's the principle he's teaching? Well, here it is. In the corporate life of the church, the community of the body, we should desire and exercise the giftings of God among us that build others up in the faith and point them to the presence of God in worship. The goal of corporate worship, of any gathering of God's people together, is not primarily personal edification or experience, but it's community praise and glory to God and the mutual encouragement and edification of one another in the body. Paul's concern here is the building up of the body of Christ as it has been throughout this letter. Look at verse 12. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive, go after hard, to excel in building up the church. It's good to desire spiritual gifts. It's good to desire to want to see powerful manifestations of God's, God's work through his spirit in our midst and in our lives. Even amazing, visible, unexpected gifts. But in your eagerness for that, desire, pursue, seek what builds up not just yourself, but those around you in the body of Christ. That's Paul's main point here. Paul says, what good is speaking in tongues if nobody around you understands what you're saying? Yes, it's a spiritual gift. Yes, if it is accompanied by an interpretation of what is said, it, like prophecy, can be edifying. But when it's not, Paul says, it's like an instrument playing random notes off key. Again, it's like he said back in, in, uh, in chapter 13. It's like going over and just beating on a gong or sitting down at that piano and just playing random notes with no order or, or accompaniment to them. 
He says it's like a, a, a bugler. Imagine, you know, back in the days when they had bugles and that was the, the way that the army was told what they needed to do. And there was the bugle for waking up and there was the bugle for going, the song for going to bed. And, and there was the one that was a, a, a call to, to action. And he says, imagine if a bugler just got up there and just started. People would be going, what's going on? What does that mean? Do we get up? Do we, do we muster somewhere? Is, a, is the enemy coming? Paul says, if there's no distinction there, if you don't understand what's being, what's being uh, the message being sent, it's not helpful. He says, even if it's a known language that has meaning, he says, if I don't, if you, if, if I don't speak that language or understand its meaning, then I'm like a foreigner to the speaker. Paul says, speaking in tongues without anyone knowing what you're saying takes those who in the gospel, Christ has made us no longer aliens and strangers to one another. He has, he has torn down the walls of hostility. He has brought us together as one in peace. He says, even, even though that's true, speaking in tongues without anyone knowing what you are saying makes us, it alienates us again. It makes us like foreigners, like strangers to one another rather than family. I remember my first experience of being in a worship service where someone began speaking in tongues. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Some of you uh, may have had that experience yourself of speaking in tongues. Others of you like me have no idea what I'm talking about until I went to this service and so you'll just have to take my word for it. But at one point during the service, a gentleman a few rows in front of me started speaking in tongues. At first, I thought he was just praying or praising God out loud. And then I realized I couldn't, not only couldn't understand anything he was saying, I had no recognition of, what the, of any language that it could be. And then another person started doing the same thing until at one point, there were a number of people speaking out loudly at the same time using sounds I could not even identify as words. Now, I don't want to question, I, I don't know these people's heart. I don't know anything about that, that church, so to speak. And, 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 and based on the friend who took me, I know he's a, a godly man who loved the Lord and, and walked closely with Christ. So I have no doubt that these people were brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you can imagine my good old Southern Presbyterian upbringing, that things started to get a little uncomfortable for me. And I realized that that discomfort was, was probably due to my own unfamiliarity as well as perhaps some measure of my own judgmentalism. But much of it came simply from the fact that I had no idea what these people were saying or doing in the worship service. And I began thinking that either they were a little bit crazy or I was really unspiritual. And in either case, neither of us were being built up in the eyes of one another. And certainly, I was not focused on worshiping God in that situation. Now, contrast that with my attending this past fall, my son Witt's church in Sicily, where he's stationed with the Navy. And he and a number of American Navy families attend uh, a, a small church. And the whole service is in Italian. Everybody there speaks Italian. Not many of them speak much English. 
And Italian is just as unintelligible to me as what was happening in that other service I went to. But the pastor of this church and the people of this church, recognizing the language barrier among his congregation and desiring to edify all of those who were there in attendance, he went to great effort. He didn't speak much English either, but he went to great effort to translate his, his sermon every Sunday into English and text it out to all the people on Sunday mornings who might be there, so that the families who spoke English would understand what he was preaching. And he encouraged and, sh- and be encouraged and strengthened by God's word so that the whole congregation could be built up. And that's Paul's point. It is not that Paul denigrates or denies the value of speaking in tongues. In fact, he uses his own experience as an example, saying in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> Paul was the master tongue speaker, maybe you could say. But as he says in verses 14 and 15, worship involves engagement of both the spirit and the mind. It is spirit, it is worship in spirit and in truth. It is both emotional and intellectual. We worship with both feeling and thinking heartfelt and head engaged. If, 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 if in worship my personal expressions or spiritual experience become the driving force, then it becomes much harder for others around to participate in worship together with any degree of unity or understanding. You personally are not the primary point of what we do here together on Sunday morning. And worship is not measured by how you feel when you leave this place. The point of worship is not personal experience in the spirit, but the building up of the body together by the spirit among us as God's people. And so when we speak or when we pray or when we sing, we want others to to be able to hear. That's why we want to sing congregationally with joy So that others will hear and join in and agree together, which is what it means to say, as Pastor Kyle often reminds us, amen. Amen? Amen. Now, you could not have said that if you didn't understand anything I was saying up here. Or you could have said it, but you wouldn't have known what you were saying amen to. And sometimes I think that's true. It's hard to say amen if you don't understand what's being said or being sung. Rather, we are to be mature in our thinking, to engage not just our hearts, but our minds as well in worshiping God. And so Paul says, are you eager for manifestations in the spirit here at Ambassador and in our church? Then strive to excel in encouraging and building one another up in the body. So Paul says the focus of speaking in tongues is upward to God, while prophesying is outward to God's people. The gift of tongues may be be proper for praying and singing in personal and private worship, which Paul himself evidently experienced at times. Perhaps this is part of his experience in in 2 Corinthians 12 when he talks about being caught up into the heavenly places and, and seeing things which words could not utter. But Paul says, 
I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He says when it comes to building one another up, to sharing the gospel, to showing God's love, speaking five words of what is intelligible. I would do more good to stand up here and say to you, know that Jesus loves you. than if I talked for hours in a manner in which you had no way to understand what I was saying. And Paul says this is, this is true for unbelievers as well as for believers. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah 28 where God speaks there of his judgment against his own people, Israel. And the sign of that judgment is that they will find themselves conquered by and living in a land of, of foreign people, the Assyrians, unable to understand their language. And Paul, looking at that, he, he says tongues are, are therefore a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for believers, but not for unbelievers, but for believers. Now, that's extremely difficult to understand. <laughs> it's difficult to understand what Paul means exactly here. And again, there are uh, a lot of different views and a lot of different explanations by many scholars on this. But here's what I think and believe based on my study. Foreign tongues in Isaiah 28 was a sign of God's judgment on the people for their unbelief. While prophecy was God's means of communicating his will and purpose to his people in a way they could understand. And Paul infers from this that if unbelievers come into the assembly of God's people and the place is full of people speaking unintelligible words and language, then they will think God's judgment, not his blessing, must be on this place. And they will say these people are crazy. You remember the response of the crowds at Pentecost. Some of them looked at the, the disciples who were, were speaking in tongues. And what did they say? They said, these people are drunk. They're out of their minds. And so Paul says this is a, a negative sign to, to unbelievers in a way that, that shows the, the, the judgment of God. And that, that rather than drawing them in, pushes them away. But Paul says prophecy is a sign for believers, a reminder that God is present in and among his people. And if an unbeliever comes in and he hears the people speaking God's truth clearly and intelligibly and seeking to encourage and strengthen and bless one another in love, then God will use that among the believers gathered together to convict his or her heart. To move them to repentance such that they will fall on their face and they will declare, surely God is in this place. Brothers and sisters, is that what we long for? Is that the desire of our heart in worship? Is that what you want people from the outside who walk in here into our worship to conclude? I hope your answer is yes. That surely God is among us. 
And that's the, that's the principle that Paul is laying down here, that in our worship, in our gathering together, we should look to do things in a way and, and, and by the power of God's spirit such that all those present, whether believers or unbelievers, are built up in their understanding and their experience of God's love, his grace, and his truth found in Jesus Christ and in his presence with and among his people by his spirit in the body of Christ. So how do we do that? What's the practice that Paul encourages? He tells us in verse 26, when you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. You see, the gathering of the body of Christ in the early church was not like what we have in our typical worship service here today. And really, for many around the world, it's not like what we typically have in our worship service today here not that either is wrong but the church then gathered was was mostly in homes and likely was was much more impromptu in its worship such that someone might stand unplanned and and offer a reading or lead in a in a in a song or share a testimony of God's power in their life or in the, in the work of the spirit as they're as they've been as they've been worshiping and praying say something that everybody's like you need to tell us what that means. <laughs> and Paul says, that's great as long as you remember this. Let everything be done for building up. If someone has something to share or say, let it be done in such a way as to strengthen and edify the body of Christ as a whole, not to cause confusion or chaos among the people or questions among the people. So for the church in Corinth, speaking in tongues is appropriate, but only if someone is there to interpret, Paul says, for others to know what is said. Again, thus making it an essence like prophesying. If not, he says, then keep it between you and God. If someone prophesies, meaning someone has some truth from God to share, whether in preaching or teaching, sharing a passage of scripture, giving a personal testimony, just encouraging one another with words from God, he says, great, but let it be weighed by others. If I say something up here that doesn't line up with God's truth, if we sing a song whose words aren't centered in the character and the truth of God, if you're, if you're in a Bible study where someone, uh, so, someone says something that just doesn't sound like it, it really is biblical, then it's okay to ask the question. <laughs> it's okay to come and address that. You should talk to me or to that person or to the elders in our church who are given spiritual oversight of the church and tasked with weighing matters according to his word. And he says, don't all be talking or trying to get a word in at the same time. <laughs> Take turns. Let just a few share and do it with consideration and courtesy. He says, for God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. And so we need to be careful not to promote confusion or division in our worship of him. Now, at this point, Paul gives this command that women should keep silent in the churches. And as we mentioned when we were looking at chapter 11, where Paul gives instructions for how men and women are to prophesy and pray in the church. This, as I mentioned then, seems to be a contradiction to what he says there. And indeed, it has caused some to say these verses were not original but added later to Paul's letter. 
But without getting into all the scholarship and the discussion behind that and getting too deep into this and recognizing the important role of women in Jesus's and Paul's ministry and the life of the early church, as well as the teaching elsewhere in scripture regarding God's design and order in the family and the church for men and women, I believe Paul's command here is specifically aimed at this situation of, of hearing and weighing and interpreting the speaking gifts being exercised in the public uh, gathering of the church. And the relation of all that to the, to the limitation for women in teaching and exercising of authority over men as Paul teaches in 1 Timothy 2. Now there is wide disagreement on that as well. But it's obvious that the gifts of the Spirit were indiscriminately given to men and to women. And women exercised those gifts on par with men with great benefit and great blessing in God's church. And so Paul's words here are not meant to be a blanket prohibition of women speaking or praying or reading or teaching or ministering in some manner in the assembly of God's people according to his good design and his good order for the church and for the family. And so this command is given in this particular situation and context in a manner that is in keeping with that good design and that good order. And it's for the flourishing of all his people, male and female together in the body of Christ. And so I'll leave it at that. And I'll invite you to bring your questions to me on that. So Paul concludes by emphasizing to some degree his unique standing and authority as an apostle and prophet delivering the word and command of the Lord on this matter and then gives his concluding words on the subject. So brothers and sisters in the body of Christ earnestly desire to prophesy. Speak God's word to one another that it might build one another up and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently in order by the God who is a God of peace. Now, let me try to put this into practical application for us here at Ambassador. The purpose of our gathering for worship on Sundays and when we get together as one another is, is to experience and to know and to recognize and receive the presence of God among us. And so when you come here on Sunday morning, you come into the presence of God as he is gathered together in his people. And when people visit our church, they should leave declaring that God is really among us. That means that when they walk through those doors in the back, they should not think that they are coming into a lecture hall or worse yet, into a morgue. We Presbyterians are known for putting great emphasis on preaching and learning and doctrine, for being reverent and sober, and all of those things are good. But let us not be known for being reserved and somber. We've got to be careful that worship doesn't just become a mental exercise, devoid of hearts that are full of the Spirit and full of joy. It's part of our mission. We want to be ambassadors of Christ who worship God joyfully. Amen. We're not here to pass on, just pass on information about God or regurgitate truths in language and words, even in English, that many people will not be familiar with and would not be able to understand. We have to be willing to sit down with people 
and interpret, help them to see what the Bible says in a way that they can understand. And we are here to meet with God, and if the Holy Spirit is in this place, there should be signs of his presence in our worship. Our hearts as well as our minds should be touched by the Spirit of God, and that'll lead to to joyful engagement with God and with one another. When we gather to worship, there will be times of, of great joy. There will also be times of sadness. There will be times of contemplation and times, hopefully, of ecstatic praise. But we should not be so reserved that we can't have a hearty amen to something sung or said or a hand raised in worshipful praise or testimony shared spontaneously at some point. When you come into God's presence, brothers and sisters, it is not always predictable. And I think sometimes our worship is too predictable. Things happen that you don't necessarily expect and we should not be surprised if God shows up and surprises us at times. At the same time, we need to be mindful of others and be sensitive to not draw attention away from God and onto ourselves. Our worship should not be motivated by a desire to appear more spiritual or to manipulate ourselves or others to somehow feel closer to God. Let it be genuine and let it be a movement of the gift of the spirit of God that leads us to pray and to sing and to speak his truth from the heart for the purpose of exalting his name and edifying one another in the body of Christ and experiencing his presence here among us. And if that results in someone standing up and saying amen or shouting woo when we talk about Jesus rising from the dead or praying in tongues or speaking a word of encouragement from the Lord, let us rejoice while we also weigh and test those things, not with skeptical judgmentalism, but with an eager desire to pursue love and to uphold God's truth. Every time we gather as God's people, ask yourself, Has my attendance here tended towards building up myself or those around me? Is there a word that I have spoken? Is there a song that we have sung? Is there a prayer that I have prayed? Is there a handshake that I have given after the service or a story that I have listened to or a conversation I've entered into that has helped someone else know and experience and be encouraged by the truth of the gospel. God is looking for worshipers to worship in spirit and in truth, in a way that edifies, not isolates us in the faith. And if you're here today with us as a guest, or if you are someone here who does not yet know and believe in Jesus Christ, then let me say, as I said at the beginning of the service, welcome. We are glad you are here. And I pray that as you witness God's people together, singing his praises, lifting our prayers and faith to him, as you hear God's truth being preached and see God's love and encouragement lived out together, not only as we gather here in worship, but hopefully afterwards as we stay for lunch together or participate in other things together as his body, that you might say, surely God is among them.
And Jesus, who laid down his life for you, by his spirit this morning, invites you to come and join him and join his people as we pursue love, as we seek the gifts of his spirit, so as to build one another up and encourage one another in life together. And until and as we do that, we move towards maturity in the faith, in him, our head. Let's pray together. God, as we come now to your table, a gift from your son Jesus Christ in a place where your spirit is manifest and feeds and nourishes us on the grace and the truth and the blessings of your redemption and our salvation. Oh, Father, be powerfully present. Spirit, show up here now in a way that causes us to be filled with your joy, to express your praise and your truth with our lips and in our lives, and to encourage and build one another up in love in a way that you might be seen among us and by those who come among us such that we would all fall on our faces and say, surely God is in this place. Lord, you are in this place. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.